Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Hello and welcome to Backspin once again. My name's Steve Anderson and with me, as per usual, Larry Canning. Hello. Hello, Stephen. Hello, listeners. How's the COVID-19 world treating you, Larry? It's been difficult, Steve. It's been great that golf, and I'm a golf professional, golf is being played, but it's um, brought with it a lot of anxiety from my standpoint which we might talk about a bit later on. But it's great to have the game up and running. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good because we haven't been together speaking on Backspin since uh, this whole thing started. And uh, you and your role out at Mount Broughton Golf and Country Club there, you've been overwhelmed with players, haven't you? We have been, Steve. You're dead right. It's been crazy busy, which is fantastic. And, and uh, for the owner of the golf course, SEL, the company SEL, and, and James Erskine, it's been fantastic. The members are up and playing and enjoying golf. A lot of positives, way more positives than negatives, but just a couple of things that, you know, a couple of co issues that we've had to implement that some of the visitors to our club and the members aren't really adhering to. And that's just the the downside of it. But it's just been fantastic. And the golf course is in brilliant condition. Some courses of members only. Ours isn't Mount Broughton. So all the listeners, if you'd like a game of golf. Now, have I just done an advertorial there for Mount Broughton Golf Club? Bit of cash for comment in there, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) You just comment. Can't get enough of it. Golf is a game that lends itself to social distancing, which is good. You don't have to be right next to each other. You can be on one side of the fairway, your playing partner can be on the other side of the fairway. It is good for that and you're getting exercise at the same time. The only thing is you can't gather in the bar and mm-hmm. tell uh, tall tales about your golfing ability at the end of the round. Larry, today in Backspin, this time round, we're going to talk with a bloke who is a legend of Australian golf. It's fair to say that. He's an understated legend because he's a very modest man. Who am I talking about? Ian Baker Finch, the one and only Finchy, IBF, absolute gentleman of the game, a very, very good player. I know he's won at the British Open, but underrated, definitely underrated. All we talk about is poor old Ian's loss of confidence during the late 90s, Steve, where he pretty well lost his game and then turned to commentary, and he's become one of the best in the world at that. So very successful. Whatever he tries to do, he's very successful at. But just a a terrific guy. He's also on the board of the Australian PGA, Steve, along with Roger Davis and, and some others there. So they're doing fantastic uh, jobs in ensuring the future of the game in Australia, particularly through the COVID period. And uh, there's a lot of talk about the new Australian tour, how it's going to be looking uh, later in the year. It's going to be a wraparound season. It's going to go through from October right through to March the following year, like the old days back in the 80s, Steve, when I was out there trying to make a cut. Tell us a few of the stories from back in the old days, Larry. Oh, how much time have we got, young fellow? We'll do a separate episode on that. Larry let's, let's reminisces. Go. Let, let's go. <laughs> I'll keep we'll it clean. Call it we'll call it the wraparound episode. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Finchie's terrific. He's really good value and we'll uh, we'll talk with him soon. You've known him for a long, long time and you always speak so highly of the bloke. I do like him a little bit more than I should, I think, Stephen. A little bit like Adam Scott. I have a just a little bit of a man crush on both of those gentlemen for what they've done for Australian golf. I haven't played with Adam Scott. I don't think I would like to. I think he, I would never play again if I did. Way back I in the so. 80s when I could hit it half decently, playing with Ian was always great. He was intimidating in a slightly different way, with not, not so much playing with Norman, who would just smash it past you and look at you like a, a great white shark would look at a seal before it, it ate it. But Ian's just the purity of the way he played the game, the, the purity of the strike and the beautiful short game he had was inspiring and, and a little intimidating. So, you know, I could never chip and putt and, and hit as many shots out of the middle of the face that 
that Ian Baker Finch could. I think Scotty would look after you if you played with him. Yeah, I think I might just caddy for him, maybe. I don't think I, I wouldn't want to be hitting a driver. Scott, imagine hitting a driver after he's hit a drive. I mean, imagine someone watching you after they've just watched the perfect golf swing and something ripping down the fairway with 15 inches of draw, about 320 yards, and then you can follow it up with a low necky slice out of the hill. No, no, mate, no. I don't want to play with it, Adam. I'll just keep talking about him, hopefully up close on radio or something. And, Larry, you have a little tip for us? I'd like to think it's a reasonably large tip, Steve. It's about your golf ball that you use. You don't just grab a ball off the shelf. Ask questions. So find out what the best ball for you is. That's my tip. Be ball inquisitive. That's what it's all have about. A, yeah, have a look at your ball. You're going to have a spit. You've referred to it briefly in our introduction. Yeah. It's COVID-related. It's behaviour-related. It's how people do things. But we'll get to it eventually. And the other thing, we've got a dozen Volvic golf balls to give away as well. They're unusual-looking balls, but they're really good balls, the Volvics, aren't they? They're very good golf balls, Steve. Used by a lot of professional golfers around the world, which tells me straight away a professional golfer doesn't use a golf ball that's not A1. It doesn't matter how much they can pay you to use a ball. If you can't hit it, don't use it. They won't use it. So it is a respected brand around the world, Volvic. Yeah, when I say they're unusual-looking, they're not square or anything like that. (laughs) They're not that (laughs) But the dimples are not as deep on a Volvic, are they? Well, there are different types, but the colours of them, Steve, and the the covers, the the, the matte finish ones that are are bright colours, they are unique, definitely. There's no other ball on the market like that. A lot of coloured golf balls, but they they take it to another level. But yeah, the actual core, the the ball beneath the colouring and the cover is a really good golf ball, yeah. Looking forward to that one. It's all coming up in this episode of Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. The Backspin Interview. Ian Baker-Finch, welcome to Backspin. Great to be with you guys from uh, so far away. Five o'clock in the afternoon here, it's almost time for a cold one. (laughs) What's the mood like uh, in the golf community in the USA with uh, the tours set to restart midway through next month, June, but is there a positive feeling about the coming months over there? Uh, It's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest with you. The places like where I live in Florida, where pretty much half the PGA Tour lives it's coming into summer and it's you know in the 30s plus degrees every day it certainly doesn't feel like flu season all the players are out practicing and playing and you know adhering to the rules of course you know, it's serious business you know staying single carts you know six feet away everyone's leaving the flags in all of that sort of stuff so everyone's doing it the right way but they're ready to go and i think that show that was on last sunday with rory mcelroy dustin johnson ricky fowler and matthew wolf that was really the start of it all that got people thinking okay we can do this the players are fine it shows pretty well on tv you know seminole look great so People are excited about the fact that golf and some sort of sport, right, any sort of sport on television, people are just starved for it over here. And how do you think it'll affect the players? I mean, obviously, there's been this this massive break, particularly the Australians with Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, Adam Scott all winning in January, February, where we were on fire, ready to play the Masters, ready to contend, and now this. How do you think they'll come back? Well, uh, Scotty won't come back for another couple of months. I don't think he'll play again until the end of July, because it's, it's too onerous on the guys that are international, not just Scotty or, or the guys that, uh, that we know well, but a lot of the European players like Tommy Fleetwood, Lee Westwood, have said they're not coming back because it's a two-week quarantine once you land and then a two-week quarantine once you go back. So to come and play two or three weeks, it's a two-month ordeal. So I think a lot of players won't play the opening series where they still need to quarantine for two weeks. I don't know how long that'll happen for. They're, they're still saying it'll happen until 
the end of June, maybe even the end of July, that uh, that quarantining will still happen. I hadn't thought of that. That yeah, they've got it. It's a two week either side, isn't it? They must be ready to go. But thinking, well, like you're saying, I mean, it has to be so well planned, isn't it? For that side of things, but as I said, so many of the players live in warmer climates. So they can practice through the winter time, mm. especially down here in Florida. It's so perfect through the through the winter months. It's um, you know in the in the twenties constantly. It's kind of like North Queensland. They're ready to go. Their PGA Tour has um, been in touch with all the players, let them know how stringent the testing will be for the players, the caddies, anyone that's on site. I know from a television perspective how rigorous the programs will be in staying clean and distanced and all that sort of stuff once it gets started and the first four events will be no galleries no people whatsoever mm-hmm. a thousand people only on site at each venue for the first four weeks now that must make the job of uh, a commentary i mean i can imagine it's it, it's onerous enough uh, when you've got galleries and, and and things you can feed off but creating the atmosphere that's going to be are you preparing mm. for it it'll be very very different for us this first month we're hoping that after a month you know the quarantining lessens the fields grow the excitement is there as you said you know everyone's raring to go they, they want to get started it's just that wariness how we how's this going to be how's this uh, going to affect us and from a tv perspective we'll have about a quarter of the normal staff on mm. site instead of 200 people traveling to cover an event there'll be about 50 They'll go straight from hotel to course and back again. They'll travel in one charter plane. CBS will look after all of those that went from one event to the next event. Jim Nance will be there. He'll host from the tower. He'll go from hotel to tower each day. They'll have two on-course reporters, you know, like what Ozzy Moore does and Grant Dodd, you know, they'll be out on the ground, Paddy Welch type of thing. And uh, Nick Faldo, myself, and Frank Nobolo will be in a studio at Golf Channel Studios in Orlando. So the three of us won't even be at the oh, venue. Oh, is that right? Yeah, we'll be, we'll be remote, all in one room, socially distanced, all the, all the adhering to the rules, etc. Yeah, it'll be different, mate. I wish I could give a better feel for that because I'm with you <laughs> as a player. And, you know, we've played in front of big galleries in Australia over the years, haven't we? Well, you, you feel more than I did. I used to get rid of mine pretty quickly, but they'd hang around for you for longer. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You played well many years ago when we were out there on the tour together. It'll be interesting. I think the better players will struggle for that atmosphere. I think they will really miss it. Yeah. The yeah. ones that have, you know, like Rory and Dustin, they're used to playing in front of 5,000 people every day they play. So I think it'll be harder for them to get up and I think it'll be a little easier for those that are sort of filling the field, not quite as much pressure on them. The fields are strong though. I've looked at who's entering and uh, we're going to have the best field ever at uh, the Colonial, the opening event. I was Mm. surprised to see so many of the top players entering and playing. Well, uh, Rory's not looking forward to having a game with you, but with President Trump anytime soon, is he? (laughs) No, he he basically had to answer his fans, didn't he? Because he played with uh, the president, a lot of his fans were like, he was supporting him and he, he was basically saying, hey, you've got to respect the office. Regardless of who is in the office, the President of the United States invited me to play golf. I'm going to go play golf. You know, I, I think he probably got a 50-50 response, as you can imagine. And uh, I thought he handled it very well. He didn't say too much bad. I basically just said, hey, just because I played golf with him doesn't mean I agree with everything he says. And he makes uh, a very good point about respecting the office, too, in, in what he said initially, too. 
Very valid yeah, point. exactly. Regardless of your politics. I mean, if you're invited to the White House many years on the President's Cup teams, we were invited to the White House and no one ever suggested that they wouldn't go. It was exciting to be invited, whether it was uh, President Clinton or whether it was President Bush of opposing sides, as you know, President Obama. And now if, if President Trump, if we were invited, you know, we'd go. It's just respect. Yeah, it's probably more of a political issue if he hadn't applied, really, wouldn't it? I mean, it would have been so. Yeah, I think so. And, and, mate, we all, we all live down here in the area. I live half a mile from Trump Jupiter. I play there all the time. You rarely see the president there. It might be, you know, I don't know, three days a year, perhaps, certainly not in the first half of this year. But if he does come down on a weekend, he always asks the pro there, John Edmire, a good friend of mine, you know, or any of the guys in town, would they like to play? And he's played with Brad Faxon and Dustin Johnson and mm. a bunch of guys from the area. If uh, Nance is the only one at the course, mate, this is a, a good opportunity for him with such a big TV audience. Jim Nance for president, perhaps. What do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steve, he, he could certainly do it. He's, he is, uh, he's such a great guy. Jim Nance. So he's real. I wonder whether, can the, is that guy actually real? Because he just sounds so nice and he has so many wonderful quotes, borderline cliche, some of them, but you just want to hear yeah. him say anything, don't you? Is he, he is that, he's a real guy. That's really what he's like. Well, he's, he is a great guy. He's exactly as he comes across. We're good friends. I can tell you, he's uh, as honest as the day is long. <laughs> Sometimes we joke a bit that he gets a bit syrupy, you know, he gets yeah. a bit <laughs> up in his, in his presentation, but that's Jim. He's, uh, he's a sweetheart and uh, he's the best at what he does. There's so many good broadcasters, announcers, mm. people over here. Mike Tarico is another one. Yep. He did. I don't know if you saw him on the show last weekend, but he does a great job. I'm blessed to be able to work with Jim. I've been at CBS now 14 years. And on your commentary, um, I can't imagine how tough that, that was calling Adam Scott winning the Masters in 213. I know mm-hmm. all Australian professionals and amateurs were sitting back watching that and having gone through what the shark put us through all those times, and, and you too, Ian, you gave us a few scares and uh, and didn't get the jacket. But Craig Perry, you know, many, many yeah. Australians have had a, had, a, had a crack. But to be calling that when it looked like he was going to win you in the tower, I sensed there was a bit of emotion. I was a mess, and I reckon every other golf pro in Australia was just bawling <laughs> their eyes out. How did you go? Yeah. How did you cope with that, mate? How I- was I was, Larry. You you, uh, you could sense that. I was out on the tower at 12 because once they'd got through, back in those days, I didn't go up to 17. Peter Oosterhouse was there. So I finished basically when they went through 12. So I sat out there. It was a rainy afternoon, if you can remember. And mm-hmm. I was sitting out there for hours. And a couple of times, Jim called me in. Hey, and you're still on out there? And I came in and had a couple of added uh, bits and pieces. When he won, and I had the chance to... Uh, to say, hey, from down under to on top of the world, Jimmy, that was a pretty much all I could get out, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, I was, I was pretty choked up. And, you know, when Jason Day won the PGA Championship in 15, it was like oh, yep. I was crying there too because yeah. I was so happy for him. You know, I've known him since he was a boy and he's such a hard worker. I'm uh, very fortunate to have known them both, uh, Adam, more so than, than Jace because he was up on the coast where I am and we've been um, friends for a long time. But... Just to see them achieve a major championship with all the hard work they put in is pretty special. Talking about Jason Day, they ran. How how is his game? How is he travelling? I mean, there's there's a question about his motivation. We're we're getting feedback in Australia that he's he's lost a little bit of motivation. He has three kids now. The dots we're putting together is well, he had such a tough upbringing himself as a kid. He's really enjoying the fact that he's a father and can look after his kids way better than, than his you know his father could and his mother tried everything she could but he's in a different position and it, it appears that he might have lost a little bit 
sort of motivation to, to get up every morning, go to the gym and practice. Is that what you see? I don't see that with Jace personally. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I think he gets a bit of a bad rap at home just because he hasn't come back yeah. as often. Uh, his wife is American. They have a lovely home, three kids. It's nice to get some time. They have Thanksgiving over here. They have family celebrations through Christmas as we do in Australia. So it's if he's not fit and ready to go, in the last couple of years, he's had a bad back. He didn't even play in the President's Cup at the end of last year because of his back. So mm-hmm. I think he's as hard a worker as there is out there, he has just not been fit for 12 months. And when his back's bad, he's just down. You know, he's down on himself because mm-hmm. he knows he can't work out as hard as he does and, and practice as hard as he'd like to. But I think, you know, we talked about Leash and Cam and Scotty, mm-hmm. how well they started at the start of the year. This break... Hopefully it doesn't set them back, but it certainly took away that momentum that they had at the start of the season. But I think the opposite for Jace, because he hasn't had to play for three months. He's had a chance to fix the back, practice, see Colin Swatton, who still coaches him, even though he doesn't caddy for him anymore. So I think he might come back raring to go. He's got a busy schedule. He's going to play a lot. I know that. And uh, he'd love to get on the Olympic team next year. I know that's extra motivation for him. So I think if he's fit, he'll be better. It's just when he's down and I know what it's like, you get injured and it's like, what can I do? I can't practice like I normally do. It Mm -hmm. hurts to go putt for an hour. I'm hoping that this, you know, three-month forced vacation or four-month it'll be by the time he plays, I hope it helps him out. You're the captain of the Olympic team, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, it'll be a year later later. now. I I was supposed to be there this year. Were you last year, Ian? I'm sorry, I I should have that research in Mm -hmm. front of me. You were? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was in 16 as well. I was the captain of both teams, the men's and the women's in Rio. Had a great time, fantastic. Back in the day, 20 years ago, when they first started talking about it, I wasn't a supporter. I was always like Scotty. We've got our four majors. But once I delved into it and started to realise what's going on here, the Olympic Games are so special and so highly regarded and recognised around the world. To become an Olympic sport means so much for the game itself because now countries that didn't really know golf or support golf, now it's an Olympic sport. Now more people are playing it. So it was great for the game itself to come to the Olympics, even though you may prefer to win a British Open or a Masters or whatever. I think the slam would be, and I know Tiger Woods would love to do this next year, that would be to have the four majors and the gold medal. So guys are embracing it. They embraced it after Rio and saw how well it was won, you know, with Justin Rose and uh, the way it it all happened down there in a non-golfing nation yeah yeah basically you know you don't you don't you don't think about golf and think of brazil do you No, you don't when you talk about adam scott there he was he one of the one of the players that um that didn't wasn't really keen to go as you said have you spoken to him about it since is he now keen to go yeah i think he's always tried to downplay it a little bit because of his attitude early on which i totally understood he didn't go to rio because of the zika virus he was having you know kids in marie mark leishman called me in tears and said, Finchie, I just can't go. You know, we're having a little baby, blah, blah, blah. So Mm. there was reasons why certain players didn't go to Brazil. But with Tokyo, it's just a a golf-mad nation. Everyone can't wait. And I think Scotty has downplayed it because he doesn't want to make a big deal of the fact every week he's asked the same questions. But if he qualifies and he's one of the top two or he's in the top 15 in the world, he goes for sure. Mm. Be a great asset. Oh, totally. 
Yeah, like, he's, a, one of his main sponsors is a Japanese sponsor, okay. which I think helps too. As, as a bloke and a player, I meant with that. There. I mean, all those three. Yeah. Smithy, Leishman and Scotty are such ambassadors for our game. And, and, and you too, Ian, uh, with, with what you do. Oh, thanks for that. Thank you. And the girls, Minji Lee and Sue O oh and uh, Hannah Green, either one of those three can win the gold medal. I mean, we've got yep. really, really good chance next year in Tokyo. Let's <laughs> talk about the, uh, the Australian golf calendar coming up uh, this summer. Hopefully, by then, it will be business as usual, you'd like to think. The wraparound format is it's called October through to March. I read somewhere recently that you, in your opinion, it's a great opportunity for the future, particularly with uh, the chance of adding some new high-profile tournaments early in the new year, if not this summer, in future summers. It's almost like a, a back-to-the-future um, scenario, isn't it? Going back to those days of the 80s and, and the uh, the earlier 90s. What would your ideal schedule look like for an Australian golf summer? The way it, it used to be, I'd, I'd like to see it start in well if we could get enough tournaments even as in october go through september october with the state opens and the state pgas you know culminating in the, the bigger events say the the new south wales open and and on to the australian pga maybe the australian open stays that early december second week of december time and then the break for a couple of weeks in christmas and then i'd like to see a lot more golf in january february especially around the australian open tennis I think there's a great opportunity there to have a couple of tournaments in Victoria. Maybe the Garden State PGA again or the Victorian Open is now such a, a success down at 13th Beach in, uh, in late February. Uh, we've got the New Zealand Open, New Zealand PGA. Maybe we get another tournament over there in February, March. And then I'd, I'd really, really love to get the Australian Masters back up and running. And uh, my preference would be to do it in the Sandbelt but maybe we take a big tournament like that into Sydney and, and do something special on, on one of the great golf courses in Sydney. There's no reason why we can't have a six-month season. That's really The other tours in the Northern Hemisphere cram all their golf into their summer. Why aren't we cramming our golf into our summer? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I think we should do. I think it'll be more successful. And yeah, we're talking long-term there too, Ian, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, definitely. The players that play on the US tour... They may still like to come home in January, February for two or three weeks here and there rather than go to the West Coast. Mm. West Coast conditions aren't always that uh, favourable. Uh, many of the Australians uh, dislike the West Coast because it's kind of cold and chilly and poanya greens. And I never played the West Coast when I was playing the tour. I always stayed in Australia. And I started in Florida back in the courses that, uh, you know, style of courses that we knew. Mm. So we might find uh, more of those players that struggle to get back November. You know, Thanksgiving time, early December, leading into Christmas, they live in the US. So there's always an excuse not to come back for a week or two. Mm-hmm. It might be easier to get them in January, February, March. So to get a tournament like the Australian Masters back up and running again, are we still talking pie-in-the-sky stuff or are there moves being made to maybe make that happen? Is there any action around that mm. as a future strategy at all? There is. There's been discussions, a lot of discussions over the years about it, but you have to find a sponsor and a venue and a date. Just off the, my head, you know, a great thought that I believe could be a, a unique idea. I'm a big supporter of getting the men and the women together, same tournaments, kind of what they've done with the Vic Open. Simon Brookhouse has done a great job there with uh, Golf Australia and the Victorian Golf Association, getting that tournament up to a really, really high-level tournament with the men and women playing the same two courses. And I think we could do the same thing with the Australian Masters, maybe have the Australian Masters and the Australian Ladies Masters on a 36-hole facility. You know, maybe like a peninsula, they've got 36 great holes of golf. Maybe we could do something there. I think integrating the two 
the Ladies Professional Golf Association, the Australian PGA into one and amalgamating the two bodies into one and, and having tournaments with men and women. I think that's the future. May not happen in the next year, but uh, it certainly will. I'm just going to touch a little bit on your playing, you know, back in the in the um, the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. I don't want this to sound like I'm I'm being a, um, I, I have a massive man crush on you, Ian. That's, that's, that's obvious. You and Adam Scott are my favourite two. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, <laughs> Steve, don't go anywhere. Just, just stay where you are, mate. Um, I was, I was I watching. You guys are six feet <laughs> I was watching um, something on TV the other day, watching golf, and, and it was they were going back over the old opens. I think we did the Seve, they did the Seve one, um, which and you played with Tom Watson the last group of that at St Andrews, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I did. And then and, and then there was like another year, just not the, the second one they were talking about was a Faldo win, and there's you yeah. in the last group with Faldo in that. Mm-hmm. And then when you win, I mean, it was no surprise that you were going to win an open. You were going to win something big. Obviously, you were top ten in the world. Obviously. Then you know, lost your confidence. It wasn't. It was a while after that. It was like you know, late nineties, and a lot of people don't realise that in, in just after you won the Open, you could have easily won the Players Championship and the Masters. And the confidence was the thing that went, wasn't it? I'm, and I'm not going to yeah. um, go nuts on this question, then because I know it annoys you. But just for the people that don't understand the importance of the mental structure mm-hmm. of, of a person preparing to play the tour. So if a young kid was going to start talking to you about what what do we need to learn to play the tour, would it be first thing you've got to do is you got to you either born with the, the ability to play under the most extreme pressure or you acquire it because and that's step one would that be a, a fair comment yeah it's a chicken and egg thing in a way isn't it you know which, which comes first the confidence or the ability to be confident with it so i think you just have to work hard and have a plan and a love for the game like i did and all i ever wanted to do was to play in the open championship and when i nearly won it the first time i played i then thought well geez maybe I can even think of winning this. So it became my major definite purpose. That's all I ever thought about was was winning the Open. So everything was a goal along the way or a stepping stone along the way. But first of all, you need a love for the game, for the kids out there that want to go play. I mean, sure, there's a lot more athletes playing now. The money's big. It's tough. One in 100,000 make it. It's not easy. But not any sport is easy. You've got to be fit and tough and strong and work out hard and get up early and train and all of the things you've got to do. But what happens if you aren't bulletproof or you have an injury like Jason Day? He was on top of the world four years ago. Now he struggles to make a cut. And he's still the same player. He still has the same ability. Adam had a bad year there a year or so ago, came back and won a couple of times. You know, he just proved that he can still be as good as number one in the world, which he has been in the past. So if you lose a bit of confidence or you lose, you know, whether it be your flexibility as you get older or your strength for whatever reason, an injury, it's really hard to get their confidence back. Mm. And that's that's the toughest thing, I think. To be good in this game now, you've got to be so good, so fit, so strong, so fast. Yeah, you've got to be everything, so don't you? You've got to be the whole yeah. package. Yeah. And that wasn't the it's, case it's back in the crazy. 80s, was it? I mean, you could you could get away we with it. There weren't as many of us, were there? No, nah, true, we yeah. Were, we, and we practiced hard and we worked hard, but we had a good time doing it. And, you know, we, we played for a living. Mm. We're playing for millions and millions of dollars every week. Yep. There's um, 50 guys a year earn more money in the year than I won in my career. Isn't that, yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Jack Nicklaus won $5 million in his career. Yeah. There's 15 guys a year win more than $5 million over here. When you were coming out on the tour, through that point where you were learning how to to win in England and in Britain, your relationship with Peter Thompson was a special one, Ian, wasn't it? He was a huge help to me in the early 80s, 82, 83, 84. And uh, I miss him, as we all do. Yeah, you know, he's the great man five times. He, he was 
our greatest golfer and uh, a, a real mentor to me. And that Open you talked about, the 84 at St Andrews, I played four practice rounds with Peter leading in to that tournament. I've had Kel Nagel, Peter Thompson and Graham Marsh every day for four wow, days. Wow. I heard shown around St Andrews by the best in the world and that's probably why I grew, uh, uh, had a love affair with St Andrews and played so well there. Steve and I were talking to David Graham a little while ago about Peter Thompson not long after we lost Peter and he, he got emotional I know, and he's the sort of guy, as you know, he's a he's a tough-ass guy, David Graham. Mm. Mentally very strong guy but yeah, he I had no idea the, the effect Peter Thompson had had on guys like you and David David, outside of just being a mentor, he was a he was he was a friend, wasn't he? He was he was um, you were very close. Yeah, he was a smart man too. He ran the Australian PGA and the Tour, and was you know ran ran for Parliament in uh, in Victoria in the eighties and nineties as well. A very learned man. He'd go write a story for the Age after he'd played his round of the Open Championship. He'd go to the press room <laughs> and file stories, write his own stories. <laughs> yeah, he's a smart dude. But um, he had an exceptional swing and knowledge of the game and course design as well. Mm. He was a prolific course designer. Everything he touched, he was exceptional in every way. Mm. And a, you know, great husband to Mary and, and father to Andrew and the, and the kids. So David was. A tough nut, you know. He used to chew nails for breakfast. Mm, he was yeah. tough, and that he, that's why he won two majors. You know, won, yep. won an Open and a PGA, US Open and a PGA. Another great Aussie role model in the way he carried himself and the way he presented himself. Very professional. Greg Norman did the same thing. He always looked the part. We've had some exceptional leaders. Kari Webb for mm. the young ladies. Uh, just a great leader mm. and uh, and true professional. You know, so we've we've been lucky in Australia. We've had. And now you go to the young guys like Jeff Ogilvie and, you know, Adam Scott, Jason, of course, you know, Leash and Cam are still going. They're still young. But we've had some really, really good role models for our young players coming up. You're one too, mate. Well, I appreciate that. I've been fortunate to stay in the game. You know, I'm 60 this year. So uh, I've been around a long time. There it is, ladies. Ian Baker Fence right. is 60. I'll be telling Sandy as <laughs> soon as I get home. I'm a grandpa too. I got oh, a baby, baby girl three months ago. I've been blessed. It's been a great game for me. Good on you, mate. Ian, we really appreciate your time. Good mm-hmm. to be with you. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for everything and good luck. When you get back on air over there, we'll all be thinking of you and uh, do a great job as usual. Say hello to Jim Nance for us all. Yeah, I will. Thanks, Larry. Cheers, guys. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Larry, when you're buying a golf ball as your average everyday golfer, it does pay to ask a few questions, doesn't it? Steve, there's, uh, I see it too often, having worked in pro shops, where people enjoy the brand of the golf ball more than they actually enjoy the, what the ball is doing for their game. And it's easily, it's, it's, you know, golf balls can be beautifully marketed. Some Look, there are definitely some great golf balls out there, and they're not all the, the ball that my sponsor gives me. There, there's a lot of great balls on the market, no doubt. But the actual ball that Tiger Woods uses isn't the ball for 99.9% of the people that walk into the pro shop, yet... 50% of the people will try and use that golf ball. The people that uh, haven't got an issue with brand or, um, or or the cover of the golf ball or who's using it are uh, way ahead. They're two or three shots around better off because they've been getting some advice on what the actual golf ball is they should be using. Now, there are so many different types, but each big manufacturer, the Bridgestones, the Srixons, the Titleists, the Callaways, TaylorMades, all have a ball that will fit 
a particular player and they just need the advice from the pro, from the PGA professional or from the website. You can go online and find out what sort of ball should suit you by going on a golf ball fitting system. Once you get past that point, your game will definitely improve and the ball needs to be a combination of how far you can hit the ball, when how much you can make it stop, the, the launch angle. There are so many issues in picking that golf ball and you know 90% of people won't really spend the time finding out about that. So just ask your PGA professional behind the counter, what sort of ball should I use? If he hasn't seen you hit a ball, try and explain how you hit it or book a lesson with him You know, at the end of the lesson. Say, by the way, what sort of ball should I be using? I mean, they know what they're talking about. That's the thing. That's uh, They're professionals and they're there to help you. That's the other thing to remember as well. Don't be shy, I think is what I'm saying. And the PGA professional will always, when there's a new product come out, they find out about it, Steve. They have to. It's their job. It's not quite life and death situation like a doctor's dealing with. But if someone's looking to you for advice on a particular golf, but you need to know about the ball. And the PGA pros always check out the new products, the latest products, and work out who's, who it's going to suit. Very good. Now, let's have a bit of a spit about COVID-19 behaviour. You know, we're living in this time where social distancing's in place and there are restrictions on what we can do and what we can't do. But as the powers that be, whoever they are, always say, the sooner we comply with the things that we have to do, the sooner we'll be out the other side of this. And it, it makes sense. You know, it does It does happen when people do the right thing. You see the number of cases, as we've seen in Australia, drop pretty dramatically. But some people, Larry, don't take any notice at all. They don't, Steve. Again, I'm talking percentages. 95% of people are terrific, but it's the 5% that uh, the breaker rule here and there. We'll, we've been playing in twos for nearly seven or eight weeks now. It's now back to fours, but when it was played in twos, I'd look out in the, the pro shop window and there's a group of three all in a cart, which makes it even more obvious. You know, there's one person per cart, so three carts flying up the 18th fairway. And I thought, wow, you know, do you really disrespect the rest of the golfing community that much that you would risk having golf shot? shut down in New South Wales, uh, one of the few sports that, that is that is open. And for physical health and mental health, people needed to be out playing golf. And three idiots doing that, I thought, wow, guys, you, you just... And I spoke them rather badly, and they, 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 won't, they won't be back. But there's at other occasions where a golf cart, Steve, is full of garbage at the end of a round. They just dump the cart near the, the cart shed there. So one of one of my staff, probably me, uh, has to pull the dirty things out of the cart that they've they've been touching. And you know why why not just put it in the bin yourself? The bin's right there. You know, as I said, this is five percent, but they're the they're the guys that are and the girls that, that that potentially could shut the whole game down right across the country. And that that will be heartbreaking if that happens to all the golfing public. Just take a bit of notice. I, I was at the uh, driving range at Moore Park in Sydney the other day. As you probably know, Larry, it's enormous. This thing, it's got about three levels of of. Um, driving bays in it but it was so busy there were so many people there uh, which was obviously a good sign for the uh, the game of golf but people of all ages people of both sexes uh, having a hit but because it was so busy you had to queue for a mm. while it was really hard being in that queue not wanting to say to the the person behind you can you just move back a little bit because you know what there are rules in place at the moment and i don't want to sound like a narc but it, the rules are in place to to help me and to help you and as i said before to help us stay healthy and get back to normal as soon as we can. People just don't think. That's the issue, Stephen. You don't want to be a narc. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. But, mate, now, in 2020, in the month of May, it's acceptable to turn around and say, excuse me, I believe you're getting too close. I think we can do that now. If you say it politely... Oh, sorry, I didn't realise. If the person goes nuts, well, he's a goose or she's a goose. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's just the way we have to deal with it now. We have to, you know, get rid of the narky, get rid of the the old Australian culture. She'll be right, mate, and replace it with the new the new laws, the new rules. 
Yeah, that's the way it is. All right. Now, let's finish with a bit of a giveaway because you've got some Volvic golf balls, haven't you? You've got them there. I do, Steve. Yes, I have a dozen right in my left hand. Right in my left hand. <laughs> How are you going to give them away to our listeners? I'm going to give these golf balls through our Facebook page, Steve. I'm going to give this dozen golf balls to the best piece of commentary from a listener. It can be as many words as you like. Usually they're pretty brief and short that you've ever heard. The funniest, best, smartest, cleverest, the most profound, doesn't matter. And having spoken to Ian Baker Finch now, he is in that category of one of the most famous and respected golf commentators in the world. I loved his from down under to on top of the world. He said that in uh, while he was fighting back tears talking about Adam Scott. I go a little bit the other way. I, my favourite is Gary McCord, who actually lost his job at Augusta by referring to the fact that the greens at Augusta weren't mown. They were bikini waxed. He was shown the door after that and, and not never to be seen at the Masters again after saying that. But look, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the context. Steve, for this uh, couple of weeks. Come yeah, up with, we, with we your favourite piece of commentary. What's yours, mate? Well, we spoke with Finchie about the great Jimmy Nance, and um, I, I've been thinking about this one, 2005. Was it, it was, no, it wasn't Jim, actually. It wasn't. It was uh, his colleague, Vern uh, Oh, Vern Lindquist, yeah. And um, he said a win, win for the ages. A win for the ages. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. Is that best piece of commentary, Steve? Let's it's, see what people have got out there. Yeah. It's hard to find a, a really, really funny one in golf, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Ferretti and McCord. When they used to work together, there was often some gold there. I'm a big fan of Gary McCord. We should get him on the show. Let's. Because um, he doesn't work on CBS anymore. He he and Peter Costas lost their gigs last year. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's go. Let's go, Gary McCord. All right. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, mate. This has been Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Check out insidegolf.com.au for a stack of information about the game. And we will talk to you again very soon.